fruit of the Spirit. One of the ways to think about the fruit of the Spirit is not separate-looking fruit. Scripture, in the context of the verse, there is one fruit, and it has nine characteristics. And Paul, who wrote the letter Galatians, he's encouraging this church. And he's saying there are fruit to staying in step with the Spirit. Like there are things other people can expect if we are followers of Christ. There are others who will encounter our lives, our testimony, our work habits, our tones, our temperament. And they'll be able to point to evidence that we follow Jesus. It's not a Christian t-shirt. It's not if we call ourselves a Christian. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Learning to love God and love others well. And so we've been taking these fairly slowly, one each week. We've looked at love, joy, peace, patience. Today we're going to look at kindness. And then there's goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are some of the characteristics we can anticipate God using circumstances, church life, work life, retired life, family, extended family, friendships, spouses, children, everybody, everywhere. God going to use them to form within us Christ's likeness. Jesus modeled the way, and as Christians, we're practicing following him. Listen, we're going to make mistakes, we're going to have some hiccups, we're going to have some hang-ups along the journey, but what we'll be doing is continuing to get up day after day and follow him into Christ's likeness. And so it is, it is perfectly acceptable for you to have an expectation of kindness for other followers of Jesus. It's perfectly acceptable. Like in your home, kindness. In your workplace, kindness. In your sports teams, kindness. On the softball pitch, parents, kindness towards everybody, including the referee, okay, or the umpire. What is it in softball? Umpire, I think, official. At church, kindness. Towards your pastor during the month of October, kindness. My children in the room or otherwise, kindness towards their father. All right, kindness is on the scene. I want to share a story. It's not my story. But it is a, it is a story by one of my favorite authors, Eugene Peterson, Maybe you enjoy his translation of the Bible called The Message. But Eugene Peterson comes clean with what he calls his first Christian convert. I want you to think about that. The first person Eugene Peterson led to the Lord. And I think it's a picture of how, at times, in our current cultural climate, we try to lead people to the Lord. The first person Eugene Peterson led to the Lord was a name, you can't forget it, the name of this neighborhood bully is Garrison Johns. And so I'm going to read out of his autobiography 
this story. When Eugene showed up for first grade, Garrison taunted him, concerning him after school and pounding him, cornering him, excuse me, after school and pounding him black and blue. Eugene endured beatings for months, repeating to himself biblical mantras to bless those who persecute him and to turn the other cheek. Finally, one blustery March day, when Garrison cornered Eugene, yet again in a vacant parking lot, something exploded inside of Eugene. He writes, that's when it happened. Totally uncalculated, totally out of character, something snapped within me. For just a moment, the Bible verses disappeared from my consciousness, and I grabbed Garrison. To my surprise and his, I realized that I was stronger than he was. I wrestled him to the ground, sat on his chest, and pinned his arms to the ground with my knees. I couldn't believe it. He was helpless under me. At my mercy, it was too good to be true. I hit him in the face with my fists. It felt good. I hit him again. Blood came out of his nose. A lovely crimson on the snow. By this time, all the other children were cheering, egging me on. Black his eyes, bust his teeth. A torrent of biblical notions poured from them. But the real action was yet to happen. I said to him, say, uncle. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood, more cheering. Now my audience was bringing the best out of me, he writes. And then my Christian training reasserted itself. I said, say, I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He wouldn't say it. I hit him again. More blood. I tried again. Say it. I believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he said it. Garrison Johns was my first Christian convert. Ho! Oh! <laughs> Try kindness next time, all right? If Eugene Peterson could do something like that, all I got to say is there is hope for me. Thank you, Jesus. But it's a picture. It's a, it's a picture. Now, none of us, come on, none of us are trying to convert others, I should say, hopefully with, you know, our fists or with our clenched teeth. We're far more digitalized and mature to do that. We would rather bully people with right belief or doctrine or, you know, our spiritual correctedness. And all of that is fine if we remain rooted in Christ. But I return to this point because there's such humor in Eugene's story, but it's also such a picture to me of how cultural Christianity attempts to be a witness for Christ. See, so often we can be consumed in our correctness or in our rightness and lack the very fruit of the one we follow. See, despite my best messages, despite my best efforts, despite my uh, pleading with God on my knees in the quiet place of prayer, if I don't slow down and fix my eyes on Jesus 
and get deep into his word and let it lead my inner life, my witness will break down. Because I want to say this, our character is telling on us. And sometimes it's not fun. See, Paul's writing to the church in Galatia, and he's writing this letter, and he's, he's praying for them, he's pastoring them, he's counseling them. But I'll tell you this, they're more acquainted with the fist fights than with staying in step with the Spirit. And my hope, my prayer, my encouragement through this series that we will grow, we will discern, and we will continue to press forward into our Christ likeness that God has called for us. When it comes to kindness, perhaps you know 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Two simple phrases, but Paul's describing love. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is patient. Love is kind. Being kind to others is one of the most noticeable characteristics of a genuine, loving person. Essence of kindness, thinking of others more than myself. Essence of kindness is to want to help others, to encourage or comfort them, to do something that serves or benefits them. Essence of kindness, I think one of the practical ways we can do this is by putting ourselves in others' shoes and think what I would most want or need. Putting yourself, come on, if you're, if you're uh, married, you know that there are moments to put yourself in your spouse's shoes and recognize, begin to think what, what they need or what they want. But you can do this with close friends. You can do this with fellow uh, churchgoers or people in the community as we drive and pass down the road, as we see people on the exit. Instead of projecting their life story on them, we could put ourselves in their shoes, begin to process what it might look like, how their day may have been. It's remarkably countercultural. We're 2,000 years on, roughly, from Roman Empire rule, but Roman Empire did not propose you step into other people's shoes. And care with kindness. That is uniquely Christian. Jesus in Matthew 7 verse 12. He says this. In everything. Do to others. What you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law. And the prophets. In everything. Do to others. What you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law. And the prophets. Kindness, I think, is a little subversive. It's a little quiet in the undercurrent of our society. It's not clamoring for attention. It's not, you know, people posting videos all the time. Although on occasion, I guess there's the viral kindness video. But it's a slow, steady way we love others. And it has remarkable influence in our society. I can't even bring up how many times in my journey with Christ my witness broke down for a lack of kindness. Because I've said this every week, but there's a good chance the people in your workplace, the people for some at home, the only Bible they're ever reading is your life. 
And I want to encourage you today because kindness can unlock doors that nothing else can. We remain rooted in kindness because we serve a remarkably kind God. Week in and week out, I've shared about God's nature. As I was doing some of the studying this week, I thought a video may do a good job. The video I want to show, it's about five minutes in length, so take a deep breath. Hopefully you got your cup of coffee next to you. But it's by an incredible organization called The Bible Project. And they're going to explain to us together today a Hebrew word. We can pronounce it hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And in its very essence is kindness. And I love the animation and the overtones, the content. I think it'll help expand our vision and our perspective. Then I'll come back briefly and tie it all up. Thank you, gentlemen, team in the back, if we'll kick that in. If you tried to describe what God is like, it could be difficult or daunting. But when the people who wrote the Bible pondered the mystery of God, they consistently described God's character in this way. Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. We're going to look at this fourth phrase, loyal love. It translates the Hebrew word chesed, which is hard to translate into any language because it combines the ideas of love, generosity, and enduring commitment all into one. Chesed describes an act of promise-keeping loyalty that is motivated by deep personal care. Like in the story of Ruth, Ruth is a foreigner married to an Israelite man, but tragically her husband dies along with his brother and his father. All Ruth has left is her widowed mother-in-law, Naomi, who has nothing to give her. Naomi tells Ruth she should go back to her people, but instead, Ruth promises to stay by Naomi's side and take care of her. And as other people watch Ruth keep this promise over time, they call it an act of chesed. Notice that Ruth's chesed is not conditional or based on Naomi's worth. Rather, it's an expression of Ruth's character. She just is a generous and loving person who keeps her word. That's chesed. Now, Ruth's loyal love is truly inspiring, but the one who shows the most enduring chesed in the Bible is God. Like in the story about Jacob, who is a treacherous liar even to his own family. But despite that, God chooses him and repeats the promise he made to Jacob's grandfather, Abraham, that he would have a huge family through whom God would restore his blessings to nations. And so 20 years later, when Jacob realizes how undeserving he is, he says to God, I'm not worthy of all the chesed you've shown me. And he's right. But God's chesed was never about Jacob's worth in the first place. It's a display of God's generous loyalty to his promise. God's chesed continues into the story of Jacob's descendants, the Israelites. When they're enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt, we're told that God remembered his promise to Abraham and Jacob, so God defeats Egypt and raises up Moses to liberate the people and lead them into the promised land. And in the story, this is called an act of chesed because it was about God keeping his word. Now, on their way to the promised land, the Israelites are scared of the nations around them and they doubt that God can protect them. So the people threaten to kill Moses and appoint a new leader to take them back to Egypt. God is understandably hurt and angry, but Moses steps in and says, forgive the sin of these people because of your great chesed. Notice that Moses asked God to forgive, not because the people deserve it, but because it's consistent with God's own character. 
and God agrees, and he recommits himself to a people that don't want to be committed to him. In the Bible, God is loyal and loving for no other reason than it's just who God is. Of course he wants his people to respond with chesed in return, but even when they don't, God's chesed remains. The prophet Hosea compared Israel's chesed to a morning mist that's here one moment and gone the next. But God's chesed is enduring. Like in the celebration of Psalm 136 that opens by saying, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and then 26 times repeats, His chesed is forever. And so, after centuries of Israel betraying their commitment to God, and after humanity's long history of violence and death, God still kept his promise in a dramatic and drastic way by becoming human and binding himself to us in the person of Jesus. And the people who followed Jesus of Nazareth said that in him they encountered the God of Israel who is full of loyal love and faithfulness. Jesus is the ultimate loyal and loving human. And in his life, death, and resurrection, God opened up a new future for all of us and for all of creation. And God did this because it's just who God is. Generous, loving, and eternally loyal to his promises. And when we experience the purity and power of God's loyal love shown through Jesus, it compels us to reimagine why and how we can show chesed back to God and to the people around us. This is what it means to say that God is overflowing with loyal That's good. I love <clears throat> at the end of the video the encouragement because of God's kindness. All of us that follow Christ are therefore called into this kindness to the world around us. And it is so countercultural that I love over time as we follow God and as we dive into His Word, His stories become our stories. That when we're faced, I mean daily, in decision-making, we are tempted to respond or react in unkindness. But because of Christ's character being formed within us, we can respond with his kindness. And sometimes it makes a, a great difference in the witness and in the evidence of those around us. In the book of Ruth, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Ruth, I want to encourage you. You can go home this afternoon or this evening. You can read it. It's a one sit down, one glass of water, make it through. You don't even need a snack. I mean, you'll get through it in about 30 minutes. It's a beautiful story in the Old Testament. The book is titled after the main character, Ruth, but there's three big players in the story of Ruth. Ruth, her mother-in-law Naomi, and then a man by the name of Boaz. And in this story, which the video highlights ever so briefly, the story unfolds with Ruth's husband dying, Ruth's uh, uh, sister's husband, so her brother-in-law dying, as well as her father-in-law dying. It's kind of a tragic opening to the book. But the story of Ruth gets uh, us going with kindness. In fact, it's Naomi, keeping in mind the family tree, okay? Naomi, who is Ruth's mother-in-law, says this prayer in Ruth 1.8. 
May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. Book of Ruth displays this remarkable set of kindness that in great trauma, in great uh, disappointment, in tragic kind of what we would call earthquake events, Naomi responds with a picture of kindness. Naomi prays for the Lord's kindness to be shown. Few verses on, Ruth shows incredible kindness to Naomi. Listen to these words. But Ruth replied, when Naomi had urged her to leave, Ruth responds, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me. Be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. I mean, it is such a beautiful picture. And the journey continues. They both return to Israel. They're both on an estate. And one of the commandments found in your Bibles, in the early passages, early books, is that the wealthy would care for the marginalized, for the immigrant for those far from the riches of typical society. And there is a family led by Boaz who does such a thing. And the harvesters are out harvesting the grain. And Ruth is way in the back just picking up what's left over because that was left for the immigrants. And those, that was what was left for the marginalized. And Boaz has understood and sees Ruth's kindness to Naomi, and Boaz is remarkably kind toward Ruth. Ruth chapter 2, it shares these verses. I've been told, Boaz says, all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. The next verse, a couple verses on, Naomi responds again with that word kindness. She says, the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness, that word has said, to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers or kinsmen redeemers. Beautiful, beautiful picture of the kindness of God. Our society, not here and not you, but our society is lacking in kindness. There's a famous hat. Perhaps you've seen it. It's red. It starts with the word make, and then it goes America. And then it says kind again. Have you seen that one? Make America kind again. That's the hat you're familiar with, right? I love that um, statement. I think we can invite that into our lives and into our society because many times we're driven by idols, whether it be money, whether it be control, 
whether it be self-seeking excuse me, purposes. And all of that's important. I believe God loves you. We believe his best days are ahead of you. Trust me, we, we bleed that as a church. But I want you to think about this. God's never going to invite you into a way of living where you have to sacrifice the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I mean, I mean that. You may be a business entrepreneur. You may be in the sales force making tremendous amounts, doing tremendous work. I want you to think about this. Your allegiance isn't to your company first. Your allegiance isn't to your organization first. Hear this. Your allegiance isn't to your church first. Your allegiance is to Christ. And I remember one of the biggest, toughest, painful leadership lessons. It was the Lord pulled me aside one time. Just in a quiet time, he said, Paul, I don't know if you know this or not. And I said, well, if you're starting that way, Lord, there's a good chance I don't. But continue, please. He said, Paul, I'm never going to ask you to sacrifice the fruit of the Spirit in your leadership. There's never going to be a situation you find yourself in where you have to be unkind in your tone. Where you have to be impatient. He said, the systems, the principalities, the powers of the American climate, while many of them good, as a nation, tremendous. But I want you to think about that. Over centuries, we can lose sight of foundations. And over centuries, we can begin to think and live with our allegiance to idols. And God wants to draw us close. God wants to bring us into his character. Because for 2,000 years, it's the character of God that has shaped the lives of the lost, of the broken, of the weak. And so I want you to think about that in your personal life. Get a little reflective this week. It's not too late. If you've been unkind, I'll tell you my two favorite words at home, which every family member will attest to. I'm sorry. Right beneath it is, I'm right. No, I'm kidding. But (laughs) frequently use this, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now with my daughters, I have to come alongside and say, listen, you know what daddy said earlier? I want you to to separate what was said from the tone, okay? Because the content is perfect. I'm right. You need to hear what I said. Now, I'm here to apologize for my tone because I was a little chippy. Daddy got a little angry. You didn't know this, but I was hangry. And your behavior pulled something out of me. I stand by the content, but I apologize for the tone. I mean that in our lives, kindness will cost us something. I'm going to close on these three, but kindness... It does cost us. If you look in the life of Jesus, kindness cost him time. If you're looking to uh, write a leadership book on time management, Jesus is like the worst example. Because um, he was all over the place. He was going from like point A to point B, and like 60 people interrupt him. And what does he do? He's like healing all of them. He's providing for all of them. He's being a calming presence in all of them. And with every encounter, he's revealing the heart of the Heavenly Father. 
I can tell you, kindness costs us something, and time is one of it. I look at some of my most irritable, frustrating, angry moments, almost always I'm in a hurry. Traffic will test you every day of the week. People can test you and pull on your time. Part of walking in step with the Spirit is slowing down, having time for people. Kindness not only costs us something in the area of time, sometimes it costs our talent. Sometimes there's expertise involved. Understanding, wisdom, or maybe you're trained in some way and you can be generous. It always costs us. It always costs us. But I'll tell you this, it's always worth giving. It's always worth being kind. I noticed sometimes in my life, some of the, 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 the times I would share God's truth, the content was right, but I shut the door <laughs> because my tone was unkind. God invites us to live a life that's marked by kindness. It costs time, it costs talent, and perhaps you know the third, it costs us treasure. Kindness can agitate a budget, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) Kindness can require steps of faith at times with giving. Kindness sometimes will use all three involved in the same moment. You've got to slow down. Now you've got to listen to the story. And now you find yourself, the Lord, inviting you to give. Can I tell you? Let's be a church. Let's be a body of believers. Let's be individuals that lead with kindness. Amen? That lead with the sacrificial love. Because after all, let's be honest, when our days are gone, we want to have been the mirror image of God on display for the world to see. By golly, they'll think of Hillside and be like, you know, I don't really like that pastor. He's blonde. He even has the blonde eyebrows. What's up with that? You know, he goes a little long sometimes. I don't really appreciate it. You know, I don't, you know. But boy, what a kind church. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Wouldn't that be beautiful that the distinguishing factor in our lives would be the fruit of the Spirit? Imagine people saying that about you. Ah, you smell a little weird. Yeah, some of your clothes, eh, it's a little edgy. But man, when you talk or when you treat others, whew, you sure are kind. It's one of our prayers for our church, one of my prayers for you. One of my, certainly, I don't need to say this, one of my prayers for myself. Lord, let us be kind. Let us lead with kindness. Amen? Do you receive that this morning?